guys, Madeline here. I have a quick announcement before we get to the episode. As some of you know, we recently launched our very first fundraising and publicity campaign as a nonprofit organization, which is super exciting. What does that entail? Well, it means that we are seeking your support in two different ways. Number one, we have a brand new professionally produced video trailer for the podcast. It is so beautiful and I am crossing my fingers it even chokes you up a bit. It has been known to do that. We are doing our best to blast this thing all over the internet in order to help more families find us. You can view the full version on our website, therarelife.org, or you can find the shortened version on our social media accounts, both on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us there by searching The Rare Life if you don't already follow. If you are willing to help us spread the word, we would love for you to share this trailer with your own circles. You never know who it could touch. Thank you in advance for doing that. And then the second part of this campaign is the fundraiser. This funding will enable us to continue to function and continue creating these life-giving episodes. We are humbly asking you, our beloved listeners, to consider donating to The Rare Life. And while one-time donations are super-duper helpful, this time around we are specifically requesting that you sign up for monthly recurring donations, much like the platform Patreon, because recurring is even more impactful than one-time donations. And we decided to shake things up a little bit and make it fun, and we are calling it the TRL Sticker Club. TRL stands for The Rare Life. Why are we calling it that, you may ask? Because if you sign up for a donation of at least $5 a month, you will receive a sticker as a thank you. And it's not just any old sticker, but a sticker exclusively designed by our incredible team member, Alyssa Newtile. We worked hard on these and hope that they will find their way to your child's medical equipment, your water bottles, or anywhere else you like to stick stickers. These sticker designs are inspired by our community and specifically the rare life community. So it is medical life meets mental health, trauma, talk about the hard stuff, life. (laughs) Alyssa created not one, but four different stickers. So if you sign up for the $5 a month, you get to pick out your favorite of the bunch to be sent to you. If you sign up for $15 a month, you get to pick out your favorite two stickers. And if you sign up for $30 a month or higher, you get to have all four sticker designs. I know you're probably dying to see them, or you should be because they're super awesome. So hop on over to our website, therarelife.org backslash sticker club so you can see the designs and sign up. And one last thing, it is the sense of urgency that you've been waiting for. The TRL Sticker Club will close on the last day of this fundraiser, which is November 28th. After that time, you are so welcome to make donations, but we will no longer be sending out stickers as thank yous. Our next Sticker Club fundraiser will open in six months with a fresh batch of exclusively designed stickers. For this first campaign that we're doing right now, it is our goal to have 100 TRL Sticker Club members which will fund 10 episodes of season nine, which is coming out in January. As of right now, we have 26 gracious Sticker Club members. Shout out to those incredible supporters. You know who you are. Each one of you are helping us continue to produce this podcast. But we still have a ways to go to meet our goal of 100. 
your contribution will make the difference. You can help us reach that goal. Every bit counts. So please pause this episode, go check out the rarelife.org backslash sticker club, check out the stickers and consider signing up for a recurring donation to help us continue producing this incredible podcast. You guys, I've gotten the messages. I've heard how impactful this podcast and organization has been to you. So if you could now put your support behind us by sharing the trailer, joining the sticker club or both, it would be so, so appreciated and help us continue doing what we're doing. All right, on to the episode, which today is a rebroadcast from one year ago during our last holiday season. So whether this is your first time or your third time listening to this episode, enjoy. It is a fact that the holidays are hard, but I think it's just something that we don't typically name because the holidays are supposed to be a time of happiness and celebration. So there's a lot of guilt involved in acknowledging that it's actually something that's really hard. Hey, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today, we have our first of a three-part series all about the holidays with guest Amanda Griffith Atkins. The holidays are upon us, and I know that that can bring up a lot of mixed emotions, not all of which are jolly. (laughs) And I think that there are just some unique things that we face as parents of children with rare conditions and disabilities during the whole year, but some of those are really accentuated during the holiday season. So in this episode, Amanda and I discuss those really difficult emotions and situations that we're often faced with, and we kind of dissect those and examine those and talk about ways that we can navigate those things. In creating this episode, we really wanted to include as many layers and perspectives as possible. So Amanda and I opened up our Instagram stories to each of you to weigh in on the topic. And your answers were so helpful. They really guided what we talked about in this episode and the way that we talked about it. So thank you so much to every one of you who contributed. And if you want to be included in future episodes, be sure to follow me at the underscore rare underscore life. I'm super excited for you to dive into this episode, but a couple of things first. Number one, if your family doesn't really get why the holidays are difficult for you and that's been kind of hard to really articulate to them or you don't want to, sharing this episode with them could be a really great way to kind of show them a window into what's going on for you if it's something that resonates with you and might encourage them to be a little more understanding. And secondly, I want to tell you a little bit more about Amanda. So as those of you who are longtime listeners already know, Amanda has been on the show several times. This is her fourth time, and we are set to have her on two more for this three-part series. There are links in the show notes for the other three episodes that we've already done together, so you can binge the Madeline-Amanda duo if you feel so inclined. (laughs) Amanda is so easy to talk to, and I just love her, and I love her insights. She is a clinical therapist, and she also has a 13-year-old disabled son, and so the combo of those, I just feel like she just has some really important insights and perspectives, so I just love having her on. She's my go-to. And be sure to follow her on Instagram if you don't already. She has a fantastic platform there where she shares just the best vulnerable, real truths about disability parenting. So check out the show notes for a link for that. 
Amanda is a lover of mashed potatoes and of jogging at a slow pace. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Well, you are just my favorite little repeat guest. So I'm so grateful that you're willing to tackle this topic with me. As a lot of topics are, this one's like just a loaded one. And I know that you've expressed similar things, but just reading through all the contributions from parents, I'm just like, I have chills. I'm like, oh my gosh, this episode is so needed. And I have to do an honorary shout out to my girl, Brittany Stites, who helps me with a lot of the podcast stuff. This was her idea. This was her brainchild. So I'm kind of like, man, why didn't I think of this, you know, but thank you, Brittany, for this idea, because it's so clear this is so needed after reading through all of your responses that you guys contributed. I think this is so important because it's something that we don't talk about very often, but pretty much all of us feel. It is Mm -hmm. a fact that the holidays are hard for all the reasons that we'll get into, but I think it's just something that we don't typically name because- the holidays are supposed to be a time of happiness and celebration. So there's a lot of guilt involved in acknowledging that it's actually something that's really hard. So I think yep. so many people will relate to this. And if nothing, I hope people just feel solidarity that it's okay to acknowledge that the holidays are hard and that people aren't alone in that. Yeah. Cause we'll have some great tips to offer mostly from Amanda. Cause that's kind of like, that's your thing, but like I agree. I think the main purpose of this is solidarity because there's a lot of things in here. It's like, you can't fix it. It just sucks. You know, there's just reasons that it just sucks. And I think there are things that, you know, little hacks or things that we can do to maybe have more self-compassion and stuff that can help it not sting quite as bad. But it's like, it's just kind of one of those things. But yeah, I think it's just, there's a lot of more negative emotions associated with the holidays for those of us in this realm. And I think, like you say, that's something that's not talked about. I think when there are topics like that that aren't talked about, it's obvious that there's some guilt or some shame. And, well, I must be the only one who hates this. Like, it's the most wonderful time of the year for you, but not for me. You know, and I think this is one really big way for you to know that that is absolutely not true. Like, this is a very common thing. Also, before we hop in, So a lot of the things we're going to talk about are things that parents, you know, are obviously talking about previous holidays because they're like, oh, like we're recording this right before Halloween, right? So, you know, we haven't been in the thick of it yet, but we did get a couple people. One mom said, it will be our first holiday season. Please remember us how we are just receiving this diagnosis. Another one, this will be our first holiday season and it's really depressing. So this is a big acknowledgement that all of these things that we are listing out or most of them are from more seasoned parents that have been through the holiday season once, but we absolutely are acknowledging that there are people listening right now that this is your first holiday season. And I'm excited for that you're listening right now because I think that this is going to be so helpful in kind of processing all the difficult emotions that will likely come your way. And you'd be like, oh, no, no, this is part of the deal. This is normal and I can anticipate it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking back about our first holiday season and there was such guilt for feeling like, why am I dreading this? Or why does, why do I have all these like hard feelings inside of me? So hopefully this will just help people to acknowledge that, like, first of all, identify, oh, okay. That's what I'm feeling. I remember I heard mm-hmm. about that on the podcast and then acknowledge that they're not a bad parent, or it doesn't mean that they love their child any less because they feel those things. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Let's dive right in you guys. So because we got so many people contributing, which was amazing because it gives us a really full picture of all the different 
ways that the holidays suck. Is that the name of the episode? I don't know. <laughs> all the ways. But like, because of all those contributions, the best way I felt like to tackle this was just to kind of like make sections of main reasons. And then there's a bunch of things that we're going to dive into in each section. So the first and probably the maybe the biggest one, I think, is grief. I think there is a lot of grief around the holidays in this type of parenting. And the first facet of that grief is this anticipatory grief, which I do have a whole episode about, which is like with this awesome mom, Katie Peterson. So I'm going to link that in the show notes if you want to hear all about anticipatory grief. But basically this like the holidays being this reminder of oh my gosh, like here we are at another Christmas, you know, this gratitude, like I'm so glad we still have them with us. And also, will they be here next Christmas? Mm -hmm. You know, and and just kind of that, like for these children who have, you know, more life-threatening conditions or ones that you know that they have a shortened life expectancy to be reminded that these are numbered. And I think that is such a visceral kind of grief And one that is really, really hard to trudge through and to function during the whole holidays. If you have that at the back of your mind, like that's really heavy. So heavy and makes it nearly impossible to be in the present moment, which is exactly what we're trying to do in these situations. Just knowing that something so awful could happen makes it impossible, I think, to find joy sometimes. You know, one time somebody told me, our lizard brains are not meant to think about mortality because on the day-to-day, we don't normally think about the fact that we're all going to die. That's really depressing. But I think as parents, when that's a reality with your children, we can't help but think about it. And the way that most people survive is by not thinking about death, right? Like if we thought about it all day long, we wouldn't be able to function. But when you have a kid with a rare disease that is terminal and we could lose them at any point, it's like so impossible to find joy in the day-to-day. I guess that's a challenge for those parents is to try to see moments of joy, moments where they see their child happy. Don't put pressure on ourselves to have to find joy all the time, but to be able to see it in little moments feels so important. Yeah. And as like in the episode I mentioned with Katie Peterson, she talked about how there is that side of it where she at least has been able to find a way to be really, really present because of her daughter's short life expectancy. So she, every, you know, holiday, every birthday, I mean, she's, she's there for all of it. And she's like, every moment she's grateful for it. And I, you know, obviously it's also very triggering. So she's also very, you know, that's not to say she's not sad about it or like depressed about it or like all of those emotions. But I think it is kind of this like, this perspective that no one else really has in the same way. I mean, I just think back. So I knew this was going to come up in some way, but my dad who passed away from brain cancer got his diagnosis the first week of December and then died in that January. So the whole holiday season, I mean, it's just ever since then, I was like, well, you know, the holidays will just be really hard for us now. But that last Christmas we had with him, I mean, that we knew it was his last one and it was horrible, but it I was there for all of it, you know? And so I think, anyway, there's both sides of that. But my heart just goes out to parents who kind of have this understanding of this could be their last Christmas or their last holiday with us. I mean, that's that's a doozy, right? Like, how do you even handle that? So. And just normal trauma, like you were saying, around anniversaries of things, sometimes yeah. they unfortunately fall, like exactly what you're saying, they fall during that time, which is supposed to be the happiest time of the year. One of my friends who is also a follower sent a message and said that her son, I think it was that they got a horrible diagnosis 
right around the holidays a couple of years ago. And it's every year on that anniversary, she remembers it and it feels heavy. And so I'm certain that whether it's a hospital stay or a diagnosis or a terrible seizure or something, life goes on during the holidays. And some people have really difficult memories, exactly like you're saying, during that time that just make the holidays sort of dark. Yes. Let's tackle that. That was actually its own little category. I feel like this is a great place to talk about this because another thing, like when I was talking to Brittany about like this whole episode, she lost her son, Logan, right during the holidays. And so it's kind of this, I think the holidays just like suck when there's trauma there because every single year it's the same music. It's the same things you're doing. I mean, it is trauma trigger hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, the way that we as a society, the nostalgia involved in that, where you are doing the same things, you're seeing the same people, again, the music for me, I mean, I, it's just, you're right back there. And so I think for a lot of parents, you do, you, your brain goes back there of like, oh my gosh, this is when we got this diagnosis. Oh my gosh, we almost lost him at this point. It's horrible, right? And and I think in those ways, it's easy to resent the holidays because of how they are the exact same every year for the most part. And so it just, your brain goes right back there. Exactly. I'll read the submission that she said, Thanksgiving week at 14 months, my boy was in critical condition in the PICU. Thanksgiving day is triggering. So every Thanksgiving, she remembers that horrible moment when her son was in critical condition and I'm sure there's gratitude that they're not there anymore, but still that trauma that we hold, it sticks with you. That's so true. And it's not even just like what I was talking about, where it's like this time capsule of like, oh, we're right back there. And my whole body feels all those things. I think it's also just made that much harder to be triggered during a holiday, like, right? Because there's all this expectation of like, I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to stay in bed all day. Like, I want to be happy. I'll put words in her mouth, but maybe like, I used to love Thanksgiving and now it's hell. And I like, I dread it and I don't want to dread it. And so I think that just complicates it all so much more when it, there's this expectation, both internally and externally to be super jolly and happy and making memories and being there for, you know, your family when, you know, it can be hard to get out of bed. Yeah. I feel like I had so many people message exactly that. Like, it just feels so hard because the expectation is that we're supposed to be happy and we want to remember how it used to be, right? Like, or maybe even what we envisioned the holidays being like, when you have a kid or when you find out you're pregnant, you think, oh, it's going to be, the holidays are going to be so fun. Like we're going to make all these memories and do all these special things. And then you get there and it's not at all what you were expecting. And so there's like this grief of what you didn't get to have and this grief of what your child didn't get to experience. Exactly. And I actually have a recording from Lisa talking just about that. So let's listen to what she has to share about that. My name is Lisa and I live near Montreal in Canada. My daughter Kiara is four years old. I love the holidays. It is by far my favorite time of the year. The last few years have been difficult. I am saddened that my daughter will never see Christmas the way I do. I love to give gifts and spend time with family during the holidays. Even bringing Kiara to her grandparents' house on Christmas is a challenge. The holidays look completely different than what I thought they would be with kids. It's a reminder as to how different my life is than what I expected it to be. What has helped me is designing the holidays in such a way that my kids will love, even if it's nothing like I envisioned. 
Christmas has become less about gifts, a nice meal, spending time with extended family, and more about quality time with my husband and kids. Okay, so I just feel like that kind of sums it up really well, like exactly what you were saying as like, this is just really, it's just different than what I expected. And honestly, like, I think that is why there is so much grief involved during the holidays, not even just being triggered back to difficult times, although I think most of us have something that we're feeling triggered to. But then also, you think about what grief is, like, it's the loss of expectation of how you thought things would be. And so I think it makes total sense that during the holidays, that's when we're really grieving, you know, a lot of the things that we thought what it would be like, like you say, like with our children. And so there's a lot of ways, you know, that it's different than we envision. And that I think is, is made really poignant during the holidays. I do love her shift though, from saying, instead of it being about the extended family getting together and this big meal and all of these things that maybe I thought it would be, she's shifting to say, let's keep it small because that's what works for our family. And we'll just focus on quality time with the I don't know, three or four of us or whatever, the people who get it. I really love that. And I think that's, it's important. I mean, flexibility, so many of us disability parents, flexibility is a huge value of ours. It has to be. But I think I like the way that she's been able to shift it to try and be like, okay, this is how we survive. This is how we make it enjoyable. And so this is what we're going to do. I think that's such a good survival skill. Yeah, exactly. And the duality and what she said, right? Like I grieve this. I don't think she said I grieve this, but that's that's what I hear, you know, between the lines of like, I grieve that this is not how I pictured. And that makes me sad. And we're shifting how we do things to make it work for our family. We're not just going to fight against, you know, and a lot of comments from people was a lot of things about how, you know, the things that I used to love doing during the holidays is now really difficult for my child, for me. And I'll add in there, like when you're feeling triggered and you're in the grief and depression, like getting up and doing holiday things is just harder because you have less energy. And so I think allowing yourself to feel sad and disappointed that it's not how you want your holiday season to be, but then also being able to adjust how you do things and saying no when you need to and creating new holiday traditions, I think is like you say, like it can be really powerful to take control over something that you feel kind of powerless to. I also think adjusting our schedules and what we're doing, but also adjusting our expectations. That's something that it seems like a lot of parents mentioned is how we do as parents have a lot of expectations and hopes on the holidays and our kids' reactions and things like that. And in a way we really do need to adjust those expectations one of my followers, who's a dad actually, and I thought this was helpful. He said, not getting reactions from her, like no wonder in her eyes about Santa. And that really kind of stuck with me because I think I've projected my hopes on my son about a certain gift or you know, the way he will react when he sees Santa or the train or something like that. And it's just not important to him. And I have felt grief about his lack of excitement about things that I want him to be excited about. Right. And so trying to just go in it, managing my expectations and not projecting things on him and meeting him where he is. But I felt like I had so many parents that wrote Mm -hmm. things about feeling some disappointment in maybe what their child expresses around these sort of things. Yeah, totally. Or this other parent who said they have no idea. It's such a magical time of year. 
I had a really good example from a mom, Heather, who talked about this exact thing. I also think about my son doesn't have a regular schedule. So a lot of times we do Christmas morning and it's you prep and you try to get the right gifts that'll work for him and something that he'll get excited about, even though it's not age appropriate. And then you get up on Christmas morning and everybody's at your house and ready to open presents and your kid is asleep and you have to open presents for him or you have to wait a crazy amount of time for him to wake up and be ready to do it. So that's not really fun whenever you've put all the time and effort into buying what you want to buy for him and you have a vision of your whole family opening presents together and then him sleeping right next to you on the couch while everyone else enjoys the morning. Also, the struggle of going multiple places and doing a lot in a small amount of time. Yeah, I think she summarized that perfectly, just sort of the pressure that we put on ourselves to make the holiday perfect. And so often because of our child's disability, you know, they might not be able to participate in the way that we had envisioned it. And so I'm just seeing that image of him sleeping on the couch and kind of like the holiday revolving around him as he just sleeps through it and like mom's disappointment and all of it. And, you know, you just kind of ask yourself, like, was this even worth it? Like, should I even have done all this? And it just makes all that hard work. Like we kind of put it into question and again, put our expectations and hopes onto our child, you know, which is really hard. Totally. These kind of sum up that like the expectations we have really in society. And I I don't think it's bad that we have these expectations. It's just how we grew up and how we see other people experiencing the holidays. But then I think you're absolutely right. If you're able to kind of shift those expectations, like it will maybe sting a little bit less or help you enjoy you know, you can still grieve and feel sad that it's not how you expected or wanted it to be while also adjusting things so that you can still have a great holiday. It's just, it's different and still make some great memories with your child. Yeah. And I think, I'm not sure if you had people say this, but I had a lot of people talking about, again, like gifts that we give and how, you know, I mean, if anyone follows me, they know that Asher, my son, who's 13 is obsessed with Elmo And so there's always Elmo gifts under our tree. And for a long time, it was really hard for me. And I would try and push him into other things, other slightly more age appropriate things. And then finally, last year, I was just like, I'm so done trying to push him into things that he's not into. And so I got a bunch of Elmo stuff and he was so happy. And actually, once I was able to let go of my expectations on what he should be doing, I was able to like see that spark and see him be happy. And that is what it's all about with these things. When you're talking about buying gifts for Christmas and stuff, we like, it's not about what we get out of it. It should be about our children finding joy in the things that make them happy. So that was hard for me though. At one point, really, really hard for me. Yeah. It's like, I think this is something that I hear parents talking about it kind of in the general realm of parenting of like kind of projecting what we want our children to be interested in. So like maybe like someone who's really sporty and like, I want my kid to be into sports, but this is like next level, right? Because it's like, it's not just that like, you're not a fan of Elmo. It's just like this, like, but kids your age aren't getting Elmo toys anymore. And so I love how you've leaned into that and how that has shifted probably his holiday experience as well as yours. And there was also people who talked about giving gifts and the child not 
showing that they're excited about it and kind of that disappointment of like, oh, I expected them to be excited for this present that I thought through and it seems like something they would love. So maybe something like the Elmo gift and they don't express it in the way that maybe other kids do. And then that's kind of like this letdown of like as a parent, you get excited to give your child a gift. And if they don't have the words for it or they just don't express in a traditional way, I think that can also be sad, right, for a parent. Like because you do picture I give my kid their Christmas presents or whatever, you know, holiday present to be mm-hmm. inclusive. But then it's just not the reaction that I wish that they would have or that I hoped that they would have. Yeah. And I think it's important to acknowledge that as a parent, that comes from such a good place. We want to see our kids happy. We want to see that big smile on their face and see them get excited about things. It's coming from such a pure place. But when it becomes this expectation that we have on them for their behavior, their response, that's when it becomes unfair. So I think it's just really important to try and check ourselves and be like, is my expectation on this for me or for them? You know, and and if that yeah. if they're not able to give the response that we're hoping for, that's something for us to work through, not for them to work through. Yeah, which is so hard. I mean, all these things we're talking about, I'm like, yeah, yeah, like manage your expectations. <laughs> and then like when it comes down to it, I mean, that can be very difficult to shift. But even just the awareness, I think, and just working on it probably can do a world of good just to make it sting that much less or, you know, just make it just a little more enjoyable and maybe we'll get there, right? We'll like, we can shift a little bit this year and then maybe a little more next year. So just to have a little bit of self-compassion if you're like, oh, I still have those expectations. I didn't, I shouldn't have, and I didn't want to, but they were still there and they still ruined it for me. But just, you know, baby steps, like working your way towards that. I think acknowledging, like, if you have expectations on something and your child opens the gift or you help them open the gift and they don't have the reaction that you want, all we have to do is just say, oh, I wanted a bigger reaction that hurts a little bit, but our day's still okay. And I can take ownership over the fact that that was me projecting something onto them. Like, I think it just takes a little bit of self-talk to remind ourselves Mm -hmm. that that's what we were hoping for. And it's totally fine that it didn't happen. You know, we have to acknowledge our grief in order to face it and I think understand it and make it so that it doesn't rule us in those moments. Yes. Yes. So well said. Yes. And let's talk more about the gift giving. Cause I know that almost like 50% of the, what is hard about the holidays revolved around uh-huh. gifts in large part, I think because my child is 13 and he still wants Elmo presents or, you know, things like that, right. Where it's like, this is, uh, I'm giving you a baby toy and you're five years old, you know, because that's what you're interested in or that's what you can interact with. And so I think that just brings up all the feelings, right? All that grief that maybe we kind of keep under wraps during the rest of the year. I think that just is a really effective way of bringing it all up. So, (laughs) and I think like this kind of is divided up into two different camps with the gift giving. It's like, there's the camp of the difficulties of gift giving from extended family, right? So like the grandparents want to give gifts and stuff and kind of the all the complications with that. And there's also all the feelings that go into us ourselves, you know, selecting the gifts for our children. Like those are both big parts of this. Yeah, let's tackle the like grandparents giving gifts because I feel like that feels way more out of our control than simply like managing our responses to things because then we're dealing with managing their response to it, like acknowledging that they're disappointed or (laughs) watching them force, maybe is too strong of a word, but watching them force our kid to play with something that they're not really into or 
I don't know, that feels really hard for me because then I'm all trying to manage their feelings and my kids' feelings and my feelings. It's just like too much managing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have an audio recording. So let's listen to that. And that will kind of like spring us into this, our child receiving gifts from extended family or others. So we'll hear from Erica. I know for me, a lot of the issues of my big emotions around the holidays all revolve around gifts. And there are a couple of reasons why. Sometimes family and friends are very well-meaning and they will get him a gift that they think a typical two-year-old kid would like. And it's really difficult to open those presents and look and know that, you know, that's not something Brian can play with right now or maybe ever. And I have to return that gift or I need to look at that gift, just collect dust on my shelf. And that's really tricky. Something else that's tricky with gifts is sometimes family has no idea what to get him. And, you know, I really appreciate that they text and ask. But that's hard, too, because that's another reminder of how he's not typical. And they probably wouldn't text me to ask me that question. If he were a typical two-year-old, they could ask friends and family for ideas or look online. So that's tricky. Another thing that's tricky is when we do give them ideas, I realize that a lot of the ideas for gifts are really more therapy equipment or toys that we consider using for therapeutic purposes. And that's tricky when I look at you know, my cousins who have kids that are similar age, they're opening presents that are toy trucks and blocks. And, you know, Brian doesn't have the motor control of his hands or is even sitting up independently for that matter. So, you know, he's getting light spinners or different things that maybe somebody who is on a developmental age of like four months or five months like he is would get. And that's really hard to watch them open presents and react in that way. And Brian's not going to have the same reaction. So I think for me and for our family, gifts are definitely the trickiest part of the holidays. But of course, we try to find the joy in every situation on the holidays. So while presents are tricky, we celebrate that we get to be able to have him spend time with family. And, you know, we really try to appreciate all the moments, small, big, everything in between, and just really make the most of it. Okay. I think that was so great. I think she summed it up really well with like the whole gift giving from others, you know, externally because wow, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So complicated. And it seems like she's done a really good job of trying to figure out what the right way to do this is. Like, is it okay to tell people ideas of what to give our children for holidays or does that take some of the fun out of it for them? I don't know. This feels really complicated to me because the thought of her having to go return stuff feels so heavy and just, you know, that's, I don't know. I, I wish that there's a way that we could be more direct with people about what helpful things are for our kids. But then does that take like the magic away? Does that feel like we're micromanaging it too much? And like she said, they wouldn't have to ask if he weren't disabled. Right. And so I think that there's this, like, I think a lot of the things about the holidays that's hard is that you're like comparing it. There's a lot of comparing and it's just made so much more obvious. And so I think just that like gut punch of like, Oh my gosh, she wouldn't have to ask, you know, she would just get him the blocks and the truck. And I think it's very thoughtful that they're asking. I think that's actually really great. And that's probably the best. I mean, I don't know. And in my opinion, I'm like, I think I would rather just explicitly tell them, Oh, he's super into the light spinners and things like that just so you're not like getting presents that are like going to be kind of useless for them. But like, it's still a difficult thing, you know, to feel like you have to say anything. And one thing I also heard from other parents too is, and this kind of 
bleeds into a section that we're going to tackle with about family issues. But like a few parents felt this hurt of like, you don't know my child very well. And that's why you have to ask. And I think that is another gut punch in there kind of packaged up. If you feel like you haven't taken the time to get to know him with all of it, all the different aspects of him, including his disabilities. And so you don't know. And so you have to ask me. And, I, and again, I think it's thoughtful that they are asking Personally, from my perspective, I'm like, I would rather explicitly tell them what they would most enjoy. But again, I think it can still be a kind of a one-two punch in there. And then also what she said about, like a lot of the gifts are therapeutic in nature. That's kind of a double-edged sword too, because on one hand, those are the things that a lot of our kids really need. And especially if it can help ease some sort of financial burden for us as parents, But then you're feeling like the only thing that your kid is getting for the holidays are like therapy gifts, right? Which I think feels sort of depressing too. And also makes us feel like we always need to be doing something. Like there has to be a function to every single gift. And the goal of it is to somehow like help our child's development or something. That's so exhausting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you think it just accentuates what we kind of feel the whole Mm -hmm. year. Like, oh, you're taking your child to soccer practice. I'm taking them to a therapy appointment or to the doctor's appointment and kind of like, cool, the cousins get the truck and the blocks and my child's getting a therapy toy, you know, like, and and like you say, kind of those expectations of like, because I need to be doing all the things, even for Christmas, we are thinking about therapy. And that's, that is, that's really hard. I remember every year I used to ask our PT, what should we get for Asher? Can you make a Christmas list for Asher this year? Like, I did that multiple years when he was little and our PT would list out like six things. And then I would give that directly to family. That is so depressing when I look back in hindsight, because I guess it just highlights like, what is the purpose of our kid getting all these gifts? Is it fun? Is it trying to lean into what their interests are? Or is it gifts that we feel like will help them developmentally? I guess the right answer is probably some mixture of the two feels really healthy, Mm -hmm. but that is hard to do. Yeah, I like that idea, like the going into both. And, you know, if finances is not part of this, if you're like, oh, we can buy the things that are more for therapy. I don't know. This is maybe like the official permission, if you feel like you need it, to just scrap all that and be like, heck with that. We're getting the Elmo toys, you know, if that's something that feels right to you. You know, if finances are not a part of this, you don't have to do the therapy stuff. I think sometimes, too, like with the light up toy in the example she talked about. That's probably, I mean, I'm guessing that's something he also really enjoys, right? Because she mentioned, so I know this personally, but her son has CVI, mm-hmm. so visual impairment. Like, they really like the bright lights. My son had that, too. And so the bright lights, like, those were his toys or things that lit up. They do cross over. But I think, you know, if you're feeling this pressure, like, we have to get the things that will help him develop the best, you know, like, maybe you can ease off on that for the holidays, like, if that feels good to you. Absolutely. I love it that you said that. I hope listeners hear that loud and clear. That feels very important. Yeah. You can be mom, you know, or dad during the holidays. You don't have to be the therapist during the holidays or ever, but you know, that's a whole thing. So let's talk a little bit more about like the gift giving on our part, as far as like the developmental stage that they're in. I feel like that was something that we heard a lot about is like, I feel sad buying a baby toy for my four-year-old, right? Because that does trigger up that grief that we feel. Absolutely. Just that idea of what it should be like, which I feel guilty even saying that. I don't know if you feel that, but there's this part of me that's like, oh, is that ableist? Is that me projecting 
what I think my kid should be? Is that me not accepting him exactly how he is right now? Like, where do those expectations come from that he should be into football right now instead of Elmo, right? And it's a very real thing. Like mm-hmm. most 13 year old boys are not into Elmo. It's just the reality of it. And it reminds us that our child is developmentally at a totally different point than most of their peers. And there's sadness yeah. in that. And so I really struggle with the guilt of feeling like I shouldn't feel this way. I need to accept him exactly how he is. There's no shame in him having a disability and you know being where he is, but also it's just totally not what I expected. It is not what I expected. If somebody would have said, you have a 13 year old son and what is he into? I would have never in a million years guessed Sesame Street, but here we are. So it is just a constant mental battle of acknowledging my grief, owning it and saying like, it's okay that I feel that way. And I really want to work to celebrate where he is right now. Yeah. I think like, I mean, this is going to sound maybe a little heartless and I don't mean this to sound like brash or whatever, but like, I think feeling upset that your child has baby toys, you know, at age four or whatever, that's just an example, but, or the Elmo at 13. I think the fact that we feel sad comes from ableist ideas, right? Like, and I'm not saying people who feel this are ableist, right? I, I don't think that label, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's reserved for very few people that just be like, you are an ableist person. But I do think that acknowledging that we grew up in a society that told us that this is what 13-year-old kids like, you know, and, and set up these expectations without ever acknowledging that there are disabled people that don't fit into those little neat boxes, right? Or even just non-disabled, like, right? Like these boxes that we grow up with, I think that those inform some ableist ideas within us. And I think it's also something that we can be like, I'm kind of victim to, right? Like you didn't choose to believe these things. These are things that are internalized and you grew up with, right? Like these are really hard to dismantle, but then also being like, and, you know, so it's okay that I'm feeling this way. It's okay that I'm sad. And I hope there's a Christmas someday that that sadness is kind of more in the background and I can like kind of like you talked about, like leaning into the Elmo, right? And so maybe you do still feel sad about that sometimes and that's okay. But just that it sounds like your holidays have been more successful or more joyful because you've been able to kind of put that behind you a little bit. And so it's kind of playing in the background instead of like the main front and center stage because you've been like, we're going to lean into the Elmo thing. Like, I love that he loves Elmo. We're going to, we're going to go all out with that. And, you know, as you were talking, what dawned on me is that I think that transition was so much easier when my family started to accept that part of Asher too. Mm. So I'm, I would be curious what other people think about that too, that when I didn't feel pressure to manage everybody else's responses and feelings, and when they were actually on board with accepting Asher for what he's into, it actually made it so much easier for me to do it too, because I didn't feel like I had to fake him being into the age appropriate thing. Yes. And I think also, if you just kind of think going back to like the whole, like, well, we grew up in a very ableist society and these, these are things that are like very internalized and not by our choice. I'm not trying to throw the dirt on our family or, you know, extend, you know, our parents or whatever, but it's like, where do you suppose we learned that? And, and they learned from their parents right. and they learned from that. So I'm not trying to like, I'm not like blaming one generation or one person for this, but like, I do think that's a really interesting thought is like, 
when the family's also coming to terms with it and they're also dismantling some ableism and saying, awesome, he loves Elmo. Let's get him all the Elmo toys. I'm not going to buy him the football anymore. Like I'm going to get him what he actually would love. That's going to, I think, help us dismantle our internalized ableism as well because it's kind of like that's so closely connected to all of it because that's how we were we were raised with these people these aren't just like these are our extended relatives like we were raised with them they raised us and so I think that's all going to be a big ball of (laughs) very connected things I love that and I also think that highlights the importance of celebrating the things that our kids are into because it helps other people have a window into differences so anytime I post Mm -hmm. Oh, Asher loves Elmo. It gives an example of a kid with a disability loving something that's not quote unquote age appropriate. So I would encourage all of us to, if your kid has a thing that they're into that feels like it's younger than it should be, don't be afraid to post it, talk about it, celebrate it. Because I think that slowly but surely starts to dismantle this like binary thinking of like what 13 year olds are supposed to be into. Yes, yes. And then I think that also gives our family members, like extended family, like some cues, right? And some like, I won't say it's like, I'm not sad that my kid's into Elmo because I think that those feelings could always be there, right? They're always going to be there playing in some kind of role in this, but maybe more of a background role. But to be able to be like, I love that about Asher. I love that he loves Elmo. And if you're talking about that with your siblings and your aunts and uncles and your parents and whoever they're going to catch on to that. And I think that's kind of contagious to be like, oh, that is super cool. Like, I, I love that about him too. And so I think we can kind of set that example with our with our family members. Yeah, I love that. And I'm also just thinking of the people who might say, well, my kid's not really into anything or my kid doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole different set of grief too. Like sort of acknowledging that your kid maybe is not capable of being obviously excited about things or verbalizing it or, you know, being engaged in, a character or a TV show or a toy or something. So just Mm -hmm. also want to hold space for the grief around that too, because I'm sure that is a loss. That's something that that parent never imagined that they would be faced with. And then how do they know when their child is feeling super excited about something and verbalize it? I'm sure that there's ways, but still it's a whole different set of grief. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of present like a devil's advocate. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Totally. I'm going to present like a little flip side of that and just kind of push back against the idea that there are kids that aren't into anything. Because I think that might be true. Like maybe they're not into like kind of more of these traditional toys or these traditional interests of like a cartoon or like a, an iconic, you know, thing like Elmo. But I do think that as parents, we do get really good at reading our kids' cues, you know, when they're less traditional or more subtle. And, you know, like, oh, well, Kimball gets super excited by windows. That was, you know, true of him when he was younger and and had more vision loss. And so, like, okay, what are things that we can do? Like, oh, I'm going to get him a bright, shiny balloon, right? Like, one year for his birthday, we got him a Mylar balloon that was, like, silver, and it was super metallic and, like, shiny. And that was his favorite thing, and that was his present. And it, it did trigger grief. Like, it made me, like, wow, he's not into the things that other kids his age would be into, But I think like as parents, we are pretty attuned to things that just make them happy. And those might not be toys. Like they might not be things that you typically get any kid, right? Like a baby or otherwise, like they might be the Mylar balloon that's their present. And I think, again, acknowledging that that can still trigger grief and still be really hard. But I think that there are things that we can get creative with that they can be quote unquote into. And I also add... There was a parent that said that it's really hard for her because she wants to ask 
her child, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for your birthday or whatever it is, whatever holiday, and that they cannot verbally tell them what they want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another whole layer to all this. I love your example about the balloon. I think that's so good and so creative. And I bet so many people can relate to that. Just finding the thing, finding something that excites your child and brings them joy and trying to find creative ways to give that to them. And I don't know, I had like tears in my eyes when you were talking about that, because I think it is just an example of how as parents, we do know our kids best. And you know, you were able to get creative and think about something that he would love. And I think that's just like such a sweet image. And it was, it's really endearing and bonding too. Cause I think like, yes, there's a lot of grief in all of this, but like, that was something that I felt so good about as a parent to be like, mm, like, you know, he's not into like these things that his cousin that is exactly the same age. Like she's getting all these presents that are more typical for that age. But like, I know Kimball and I think he would really like this. That's like, cause it's so shiny. Look how shiny this thing is. And then to give that to him and to see the excitement on his face and that he did love it was something that was like, oh, I know him. Like we're tight. We have like almost like the secret language between us. That's a unique thing that other parents don't necessarily get with their kids that are non-disabled. And obviously there are there are ways to also have that in different versions. But I think that that is a very intimate thing to be able to do as a parent. To give the Elmo toys or to give the balloon, like this is something that we were doing because we do know them so well. And it is this way of saying, I accept you just as you are. I still feel sad. I still resent it. I still feel grief or whatever the other feelings are there. But I also like, I accept you as you are. There's your quote right there for the whole thing. (laughs) Beautiful. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into the family issues because I feel like this is something that is a big one too. And it kind of is related to the gift giving, but you know, sometimes family members can be really difficult to put it kindly. And this is something that comes up with holidays, right? Because it's expected during the holiday season to spend a lot of time with family. And it just brings up a lot of things. Yes. I had so many comments on this as well. And of course it makes sense. Like you said, we're spending a lot of time with family and It also really highlights differences in kids. And I mean, I know for me, I have a niece who's four months younger than Asher, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. So there's just that constant comparison of what a non-disabled child looks like. But one of the things that stood out to me was a comment that somebody wrote, and it was that there's so much anxiety for family gatherings with people we haven't seen in a year. I just feel like people will always compare to the girl she was last year and judge whether or not she has accomplished anything. And so I know I can totally relate to that. Questions about when will his speech improve? Do you think that he'll be able to live by himself someday? It just feels like it really opens us up for this vulnerability of people judging our children and asking these questions that are actually pretty inappropriate and that we don't have the answer to. And so it's kind of puts us on the spot to be, to have all these answers or to kind of prove where our child is developmentally or something. Yeah. And it's just like you say, I think a lot of times they are inappropriate and trigger a lot. I mean, like, we also talked a lot about this in the episode I recently did about family and how they can support us and stuff. But like, 
I think they mean well. They're trying to like, oh, this is how we connect with her. Okay, let's talk about Asher. Okay, what are some things I'm curious about? And they think that that's a way to connect with us. And I mean, I think there might be a, a place and a time for that with certain family members that you are really intimate with and like that you feel comfortable talking about that and you're alone and, you know, you can really unpack it and be emotional and all that. But I think a lot of times these questions of even things like what's their life expectancy? Like you're holding your plate of Thanksgiving meal and like that comes up and you're just like, in what world is it okay to ask me that? And especially in this kind of setting. And I think like they just have no clue I mean, in that one, they should have a clue. That's really obvious. But I think in these other more finessed ones of like, well, he lived by himself. And, you know, when is she going to wean off the feeding tube? Like things like that, that can be just like, that's a gut punch. And I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm at a a Christmas party. Like, I don't want to talk about that. So what can people say in those (laughs) Madeline, do you have the answer? (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to have to think back. I asked my listeners about this on Instagram of like, how do you politely kind of refuse like and then this is I was talking more about like if they ask medical questions like a stranger does or whatever but this definitely applies and one thing that I after looking sifting through all their answers because this was something I'm personally interested in because I'm a people pleaser if someone at the park is like oh he has hearing needs let's talk about or you know his neck brace what's that for and I'm like I must answer because they asked me and it's rude not to answer and so I'm still kind of formulating like okay how do I politely so I can stay true to myself and be polite and refuse this. And one thing that I, I kind of came up with for myself after looking through all these ideas from people is to say, if it's like in context with a family member, maybe being like, oh my gosh, yeah, I can see why you're curious about that. But I actually just don't really feel like talking about it right now. I just want to enjoy this. Like, so anyway, like, can you tell me more? And then you just change the subject, right? So it's not, it doesn't need to dwell on the awkwardness of it. And you could just be like, Oh, you know, you kind of lighten it. Like, oh, I can see why you're curious. Like, lots of people are. I'm just not in the mood. What are you guys doing for Christmas? So then it's just kind of like they can go like, oh, okay. And they can just move right along and it's not a big deal. So that's kind of like my personal like tool in my toolbox I have ready for when I need it. But I'd love to hear your ideas too. I was actually just going to ask when you said I'm a people pleaser and when people come up to me at the park and say, oh, what's his neck brace for? Was Do you feel anger? what do you feel towards that person when they ask you and then you try to be polite when you answer? I'm just, it's totally off topic, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, Kimball's disabilities have been way more obvious in the past than they are now. So we're kind of like going, I mean, he's still visibly tiny for his age and things like that, but with the whole neck brace, I mean, that got us a lot of questions because it is this big contraption. It's what people wear when they've broken their neck. So it's this big old thing and I think it's shocking to see a child in it. And so I don't, I wouldn't say I felt angry. I think I felt first, of, I mean, it's a big thing to unpack, but I think I felt excited to talk about my son because most parents are, but I also felt very, I don't want to say violated. That's like too extreme, but I felt very put on a spot and like, this is really personal and a little, a little violated. Yeah. And I, often would answer. That's why I'm trying to figure out like, how do I approach this? Because I would, I would answer. And I'm like, I don't owe them that. And so we're actually gonna have a whole episode about that in season seven. So stay tuned for that one, because that I'm gonna, so with a disabled adult to talk about that, like medical privacy, because that's a whole thing. Love that. And I think that we can all relate to that feeling, even around the holidays, when somebody asks you, like you, your image was perfect when you're holding the plate of food and somebody said, so what exactly is the life expectancy? And you're just like, what? <laughs> Not now, but I love how yeah. you said, 
oh, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Or I'm not trying to think about that stuff right now. Let's just enjoy today. You know, just being able to acknowledge, basically the bottom line is you don't have to answer any of those questions, mm-hmm. period. And I'll offer for my fellow people pleasers, you don't have to answer and you don't have to be super like, you don't have to be like, how dare you ask me that? Now we're going to have a big fight in front of everyone. Like there are ways to hold your boundaries as far as I have a boundary about answering that question and I don't feel like it right now. That that can be your reason, right? You don't need more reason than that. And then second of all, you don't need it to become this big, awkward family feud or family fight. Like you can hold your boundary of like, but I also want to respect people and I don't want to come across as like super rude or blunt or whatever if that's not my jive. And so I can have both of those because that's kind of what I came down to. I can hold my boundary of having to explain about Kimball, but I can also hold my boundary of like I want to be remain in good standing with people. And so I can do it in a way that's like, we're going to be light and bright about it. We're like, oh, and now we're moving on and I'm going to give you a really easy way out because that's going to feel awkward for you. And we're just going to change the subject really fast. So good. Anyway, that's good. Something that I see that I felt like came up quite a bit, and I think probably people will be able to relate to it is that my family pays more attention to my neurotypical son than to my autistic son. And it could actually even be switched. I imagine in some ways, my my family Mm -hmm. pays more attention to my disabled son than to my non-disabled son. Either way, just having feelings around the like division of attention to kids and who gets what and how the family receives the child with a disability. Yeah, totally. Because I'll second that. Kimball gets a ton of attention Mm -hmm. because of his disabilities. And Wendy would be kind of a little sidelined with that because there's just lots to talk about with Kimball. And they want to be like, we are here for it and we want to talk about it, and which is super great. But I do think there can be kind of like this, like this doesn't feel super authentic or natural. Let's just like pay attention to both of them and be... I don't know. And I I speak with compassion, too, because I do think it comes from a good place, especially when they're trying to acknowledge the disabled child. I think when it's flipped, it's kind of like, okay, guys, like you need to step up. That's not okay. You can't just ignore my disabled child. Yeah, absolutely. And it could be for a number of factors. Maybe they feel like the child without a disability is easier to connect with, or maybe their verbal skills are higher. And so they're easier to talk to all of those things. I understand. But I think it's so important that family make an effort to treat our kids fairly because it just creates so much potential for resentment and bitterness at that point. Yeah, totally. And again, that's something that I talk about a lot in the episode about how family and friends can support us. I'll link that in the show notes because there is like a whole part about that whole thing, like if they're ignoring your child. But I do think it can be very hurtful. And so that's just another layer to all of this holiday madness. Another mom said that like the grandparents like visibly and obviously favor all the rest of kids and give them more presents and more attention. And I am pissed at that, at that parent. You know what I mean? I'm just like, Hey, that's so wrong. So to anyone else who's also experiencing that, like, I guess this is me getting mad with you. Like that's not okay. Not okay. And just feels so just completely missing the mark of the holidays. And I don't know, that makes me really sad for them. And I, I don't know if it would be worth it for them to have a conversation, but probably they just feel like, why even bother? If the parent is that oblivious to behave like that, would a conversation even make a difference? Yeah. And I have another mom too. It wasn't even that same one, but she, they had other issues like with family members who would like, would show up really sick and they would lie about it so that they would come still. And they're like, well, you have COVID and you're here or like things like that. And she's like, 
guess who we never see anymore. We don't go to those things anymore. They like they had to cut them off because of that. And I think that's an extreme solution, but that is a solution you can do if you need to set boundaries and they're not listening to you. Here's another set of permission to be like, sorry, we can't be involved with you then if you're going to put my son at risk or you're not, you're going to lie about things or just extreme things like that. Like there is a time and a place to kind of cut those ties or really reduce them or do what you need to do to protect your family. Oh yeah. Because I think one of the biggest things about these relationships with families around the holidays revolves around safety, whether it's like food safety, which we'll get to food later, but, or like health. I think a lot of people wrote in concerns about germs around the holidays and getting together with a big group of people. And like, nobody said this in particular, but I imagine thoughts about like, oh, are your kids unvaccinated? Are they vaccinated? What safety precautions are you taking for COVID? And it's just like such a deeply personal thing that a lot of us with kids with disabilities, we have to have a bit of a hypervigilance around health. And so it just feels like when you're around family members that maybe don't share those same values or concerns, you know, you start asking yourself, is it even worth it for me to be here? Like, am I putting my kid at risk to be at this family gathering? It just doesn't feel worth it. Totally. And that's one thing I heard from a lot of parents too, is like this fatigue of this risk benefit analysis of like, okay, is it like, and I feel this too, my gosh, like, and I think this happens all year, but especially during the holiday season, these are higher stakes, right? Like these are the family Christmas dinner or whatever it is. And it's flu season and there's germs everywhere. And so it's like this really, really just high emotion situation. You have to decide, you have to decide, is this worth it? Could I live with myself if he did catch something that hospitalized him or like, you know, we just got out of the hospital and like, but also like, am I okay with missing this big of a thing that I was so excited about and I'll miss out on this again. And this is just my life. So I just feel like there's so many of these high stakes situations during the holidays because of that. It's heightened on both sides. And that just sucks. I'm not sure there really is a great place to be like, and here's your advice. It's just other than like, you know what? There are other parents who are also dealing with this, these really difficult decisions and you're not the only one. And it's okay that if you're just really not loving that part of this. And I like what you said about everything is a, an analysis of like, is this worth it? And we're all trying to do our best. And so it's important to practice some self-compassion. You know, if you decide to go to an event and your child does get sick, like if you knew that was going to happen, obviously you would have never went, but we're just trying to do our best and trying to live some semblance of a like predictable, enjoyable life, especially around the holidays. And so just to be gentle with yourself that you're doing the best you can and we're going to make mistakes and you know, we got to, we got to keep doing what we're doing and trying to keep moving forward, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'll also add in there, there's, there are alternatives too. So I guess like there are ways to kind of adjust how you do things like we do with most things, you know, the rest of our lives. But like this one parent said, we've learned to sit out at family gatherings we just do what we want at our house and we invite the people who we want to see so we can actually enjoy it. And so I think that that also goes into this other section that I have here where it's like the holiday season. Like, I mean, it's just going to these holiday events. It's not just the germs. It's also my child gets overstimulated really easily or, you know, there's the food issue, which I know for you, Amanda, like that's a really big one for you guys. And like just all these different things that go into it. 
And so to be like, you know what? These things that I used to love are not enjoyable anymore because they're just really difficult. They're not very accommodating. Like they, they're they not very accessible for my child. And I'm just comparing the whole time. And I, I don't have fun. And so we are going to have uh, dinner at our house and we're going to invite people we know are being careful with germs and will tell us and we can trust them. And maybe we'll have small groups at a time. So it makes it easier. But just like figuring out things that you could modify. And I'll also put this in here too. Or just not going because you don't want to or the risks are too high and not feeling guilty about it. Like you can sit out of these things and we're here for it. There are other families that are doing the same thing that are staying home that are really bummed about it, that feel sad, but also know that that's a step you need to take for your mental health, right? Because we're also talking about all these trauma triggers that are happening right then, all this grief that's up right now. You might just freaking not want to go. Like, I don't feel up to it. You know, I'm not feeling cheerful. I want to stay home and you can stay home and we all get it. Even if your family makes a fuss and they don't understand and they're like, we just want you there and you're so nitpicky and why are you so paranoid and they're going to die at some point anyway, which I've people have like literally said to people. I mean, I just can't even. But like, we're on your side. We get it. We're your people and you're not the only one that has to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes safety can be your number one value. You know, if you're like, we just want this to be a safe, uneventful, enjoyable, low-key holiday. Great. Go for it. And if people try and shame you about that, that's on them, you know, but safety is so important for all of us with all of our kids. And I would say probably for all of us, that's one of our number one values. So it's okay for your behavior to reflect that value. Yeah. And I think like safety does become your number one value in this type of parenting and not that other parents don't care about being safe. Mm -hmm. It's just that all of a sudden you are so aware of how vulnerable life is and especially that child's life. And you're like, you know, it does happen. I do have friends whose children passed away from this disease or this thing that happened. And like, I'll do anything to keep my child safe. And so I think that becomes one of your very top values is like, how are we going to keep this child safe and our family safe? And like you say, that becomes worth it to you to, to stay home sometimes. So, and something I was thinking that sort of goes along with that is with holidays. I know for us, when we're at a big family gathering, either myself or my husband, one of us are usually in a back room where it's quiet and low sensory needs with Asher, just one-on-one for like probably 60% of the gathering. And so that feels so stressful because if it's my husband, then I'm feeling guilty that he's back in a room, isolated, missing out on everything. And if it's me, he's feeling the same way. And you just have to, at some point have to ask yourself, like, is this worth it? Like, we're not spending time as a family. One of us is just on damage control with Asher to make sure he doesn't like lose it. And you start to ask yourself, it would just be a lot easier if we were at home and he was like watching the show that he wants to watch. And we were able to just function as a family. I mean, I don't want to make it sound that like bleak, but to some extent, pretty much all the time, somebody has to be one-on-one with Asher so that his needs are kind of taken care of. And it really does take a toll, I think. Yeah. And what are you thinking when you're in that back room? You're thinking this sucks, you know, because I think that is kind of like the aspect of having a child with a disability that is one of the sucky parts is just feeling like, well, those parents don't have to do that. And I'm sitting back here and it just like accentuates how different your life is than other people's are or than how you expected. And I think that really can trigger a lot of grief, a lot of isolation. And like you say, you know, sometimes that decision is 
we would enjoy this a lot better just being at home. We don't have to do the things if we don't want to. If we do want to, and as you take turns, the person out there is having a great time, they're connecting, and the other kids are having a good time, and you're like, oh, no, this is worth it. Like, that's awesome. But if it gets to a point where you're like, this is kind of hell. We're not really enjoying this on either side of this, so we're just going to sit out on this. Like, that's great, too. You know, you could do what you need to do. Yes. I think what is really seeming to be a theme today is that it is okay to do what you need to do. It is okay to adapt your plans and your hopes to like match what you really need as a family. And that we should not feel guilt about that because our enjoyment and our peace and our calmness, that matters so much more than mm-hmm. are we able to go to this giant family gathering? Yeah. And I think that's like another theme, like you're saying, like that is brought up is kind of this like, well, this internal expectation and this external expectation of a child to be typical or non-disabled, right? It's kind of like this, but I pictured my child opening the presents on Christmas morning in this way and getting the certain presents that I pictured going to the family events. And I pictured like just all these things. And my family, they expect my child to be a certain way. And they expect me to be at this event that's very inaccessible for us because there's food everywhere and Asher can't eat the food. And so it's like, I think it's like trying to squeeze yourself into this cookie cutter shape that you just don't fit in anymore. Like your, your life is just different. And that can bring up grief because you're sad. You don't fit in that cookie cutter that you thought you would from the external standpoint. People are annoyed that you don't fit in that cookie cutter anymore. And so I think like you say, it's recognizing that like the holidays are just different than I expected and they're different than how they are for a lot of other people, but they can still be great holidays. And maybe sometimes that is Mm -hmm. being on your own, doing your own thing, buying the shiny balloons and the Elmo toys, but like things that are going to just not going to trigger that grief as much. I mean, I don't know. That's something, I don't know. That's for everyone to decide on their own of what feels right for you. But But I have to say some of my favorite holidays are where we decided to stay home in Chicago and invite maybe a couple other families over that really get us and understand Asher and are very low key. And also in that situation, then Asher's in his safe zone. He can go do his thing in our house. Yeah. And then the rest of us adults can sit around the table and play cards or hang out or something. And it just, those are the moments, not to say that I don't love being with my family because I really, really do love being with my family, but there's something to be said about being in our home with people who get it and being able to be a little bit more in control of the situation. It feels like in those moments, I can really rest. And I actually have like an evening where I'm like, that was so fun. I felt like I connected to my friends. I felt like my child was safe and it was actually enjoyable, which to be honest, these like huge family gatherings, it just doesn't always feel that way because they're so stressful. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that you brought up too that like it's more enjoyable for Asher because I don't want to make people who do the whole switch off in the back room type of thing to feel guilty about doing that. I think that's okay. But I also think that like thinking about, okay, what's the experience for my child too? And do I feel so much happier? Like, you know what? This sacrifice we made to skip out on the big family thing, to do our own little thing where we designed it, where the people we know aren't going to judge us or be annoying about this. And I think that knowing that your child is also happy and safe is going to add a lot to your enjoyment as a parent. Cause we love our kids. Like, mm-hmm. right. You're thinking about that, man, this sucks for Asher. He's just in the back room right now. But then if you're with that smaller group, you're like, he's happy. He's watching his shows. He can do what he wants. All the food's not out yes. everywhere. And we don't have to worry about that. Like, I think that 
is going to make it more enjoyable for, you know, just everyone. And that also brings up kind of this other point about food. Like, can we talk about food for a second? Because this is a big thing for people like Asher, who has Prader-Willi syndrome. And so, you know, you have to be really careful and vigilant about him not overeating. But then, because that can be dangerous for him, right? It's not like a weight thing or something. But then also, the kids who don't eat by mouth, right? Like, things like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're so centric on food as humans. Like, we are so centric around food. And that's such a big part of the celebration. And so... What if my child's not eating by mouth? What if they're sitting there with their feeding tube? And I'm like, they're missing out. And I feel sad about it. And I feel guilty for eating the food and enjoying it. And how do I make that special for them when like the holiday literally is the food, like Thanksgiving? Like, how do we even navigate that? This is huge. And I'm so glad that this is part of this discussion because I think it's something that is often overlooked because it's, I guess, maybe because food is such a big part of our holidays and Maybe we don't necessarily stop to think about people who don't eat by mouth or who have even something that I wrote down was like food allergies or sensitivity. Yeah. It can really change the way that we celebrate when you have a kid that doesn't eat in a typical way or can't eat your typical holiday meal. One thing that somebody submitted was she said, trying to explain yet again that my daughter doesn't eat. No, really. She doesn't eat really <laughs> I'm just picturing this person like in front of their like uncle or something like, no for yeah. real like no no she doesn't eat like I could just see the and the uncle being like not even a taste like not even what about have you tried it I bet she'd like it if you try you know you can just envision this going down and this poor parent being like no trust me I know what I'm doing and people just don't get it like they do not get food sensitivities, they don't necessarily get like, no, it's not that we're choosing to tube feed. And that if we just tried it, maybe it would get better. Like, no, we're doing this for a reason. And same with like Asher and anybody with PWS, like, no, they have like a specific diet and limitations on purpose. And if we deviate from that, there's going to be problems. It just seems so hard for the general population to understand these limitations. And especially I'll say, and like, not to thing on like older people but kind of older people right like a kind of like that well just try it like you just picture it like it won't hurt them and you're like yeah go talk to my GI doctor and my feeding therapist like all these people like sure it won't hurt them like I know my child I know by the diagnosis but then like also kind of this mentality I think it goes with the food thing it goes so I guess safety right like so it goes with the food thing and the germ thing but kind of like oh live a little come on like it's Thanksgiving let her have the turkey like ease up a little bit like I think that is like this mentality a lot of older people have and maybe not just older people but especially and I think that as a parent when you're like I work so hard to keep my child healthy and to keep them safe you think a bite of turkey is worth them going to the hospital or you know what I mean it's just like you have no clue and again I think that kind of goes back to feeling very isolated when you're like you have no because those those thoughts come up a lot I think you have no clue you have no idea because you're trying to push me to do this you obviously don't Mm -hmm. understand and my life is so different than yours. And I think that can feel, it brings up a lot of stuff, I think. Yes, you nailed it. I think that is so spot on with how it feels. And just not being respected by family members. I know that's not their intention. I know they're trying to encourage us to loosen up or something, but it just feels so <laughs> like if I could loosen up, I would, trust me, I would love to loosen up, but we cannot. It's not an option. Is Kindle yeah. tube fed? 
Not anymore. He okay. he was weaned from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it's definitely like, I think about it, you know, during the holidays and like, I remember during his first birthday and like, you know, his cousin who was born like the day after him. So they were about the same age and the smash cake thing. I was what? like, okay. So I made a little cupcake. He didn't even touch it. Like no interest. Cause we were trying to like, we were doing feeding therapy to help him start eating by mouth and just things like that. I think these type of events just, again, they're just staunched in like expectation of how you expect your life to be or your child's life to be. And like, my child's one. He needs to do the smash cake. He, he should be digging in and loving it. He has no idea. Like he doesn't even, he might not even be able to see it on the tray because he is blind. So like just things like that where it's just like kind of suck town when you have those expectations yeah. and they're not there and it's bringing up all that grief and you're frustrated at the relatives who are trying to push it and you feel disrespected and I mean, it's like, no wonder I'm like, at this point, I'm like, yeah, maybe we should all just be like, we're all on strike from these family right. events. But obviously that's not always like the right thing. We'll just have like a big event of all, you have to have a disabled child to enter mm -hmm. and this big resort. And, but then at the same time, that may be overstimulating. So anyway, I, I don't we'll know. Have, like, I'm just like, rooms. what do we do about yeah, this? Yeah, we could do this. We could make this happen. I think. An accessible, accommodating Christmas. Thanksgiving. People who get it and won't push you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we're selling tickets it'll be great yeah. but anyway so yeah the food thing and then I do want to acknowledge I had one mom to also talk about how her daughter because of her condition cannot have sugar because if she has sugar it'll put her into a seizure and let's hear her audio because she recorded something about that we have a really hard time around the holidays obviously everything it feels like involves sugar and I feel like everywhere we go, whether it be school events or family get-togethers or a Christmas party, holiday party, we're having a really hard time explaining big concepts, very big medical concepts to our daughter at three years old. That's such a hard thing to understand why you can't have what everyone else is having. And sugar is so dangerous for her. It gets in her almost immediately into a seizure. So we have a really hard time around the holidays and we're nervous about this holiday season coming up. Okay. So that's like a whole other thing too of like, it sounds like she is aware enough for them to start explaining it to her. But like, how do you begin to explain something that complex to your daughter who just, I mean like the sugar, like, you know, like anyone who's been on like a diet or something during the holidays knows that it's really, really hard to keep. And you have the luxury often to break the diet and okay I'll just splurge and I'll have the cake but like to explain to a three-year-old that they cannot break that regime because that could give them seizures I mean that is like oh my gosh I, I feel, feel for, for her, her. I, and I feel for the mom too because how do you convince hopefully the family takes it seriously that's what I would guess is that when you hear those words that does yeah. feel really serious but yeah I guess that makes sense that the hardest part of it could be explaining to her daughter that and just trying to understand the severity of it. Yeah. I imagine that there's this big analysis too with every family event. Is this worth going to these things where I have to deny her again? You know, like that would just feel, I don't know. As a parent, I might be like, oh, I just don't even want to go. Like, that's horrible. I don't want to have to keep explaining to her and telling her she can't have it. Like, I don't know. That's just, that's really difficult. I think that might be a similar thing to, as like for you and for other parents with PWS where they don't understand and you have to deny them something like food that's just so basic and something you just take for granted. Like, oh, I can give my child food, but like that's just not always the case. And that's just yeah. so hard. The most helpful thing that people can do for us, and I'm sure for the person that just spoke to is eliminating those foods altogether, you know, just kind of making it so 
it's as sugar-free as possible for her, you know, creating desserts or things that the child can eat ahead of time. And then just like adjusting the entire menu to that. That's the way I'm sure that that parent would feel most loved and supported and same. That's how mm-hmm. a lot of PWS families are too. Like I want to go to a place where I know they're going to put the food away after we eat, where I know that there's not going to be a million options for like pie or things that he can't eat. And I do feel like my family's done a really good job of adapting to that. And sure, it changes the holidays for the other kids, but I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, like that, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And especially if it allows you to go. Exactly. It's like, okay, guys, I get that this is a sacrifice. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I would have kind of a hard time really sympathizing yes. that much to be yeah. like, we literally can't do this because she would go to the hospital with exactly. a seizure. Like exactly. you can handle having a sugar-free option Absolutely. Or, or just getting rid of the sugary stuff. So that's not even something that's coming up. So we can be there and not have to go to the hospital, right? These are, th- I mean, these are big things. And yeah, I love that. I love the idea of making those accommodations so that the family can still participate. They can still come without having these horrible situations of like, I don't know, just like holding them back or telling them they can't or, you know, all those things that are just no parent wants to do. I also want to touch on a little bit more when our children are tube fed. You know, I had a few messages from people who their children are tube fed. I imagine they're older than like what Kimball was at that age because he wasn't sad that he wasn't having the cupcake, right? Like he didn't have no interest, didn't know it was there. But like for these parents where like they have children who are old enough to get it, uh, that are cognitively there enough to get it, like, oh, everyone's eating right now. I'm just sitting here watching them while my feet is running. Like, do you have ideas of like how to, especially around a holiday like Thanksgiving, where like that is the holidays eating? One thing that feels really important to me is maybe taking some of the focus away from the meal itself. And again, this takes cooperation from the family, just like we were saying before, but is it possible for like three or four people to eat at a time and then everyone else to go sit in a different room, maybe where your child is. So maybe you eat in shifts because the truth is if your child's not eating with the family, then we can't all eat together anyway, because Mm -hmm. your child isn't able to participate. So instead of just isolating them, why don't we take shifts as a family as the times that we do eat so that the holiday isn't centralized around the meal. I know that changes it, but that feels the most inclusive of your child, you know? And, and so then it's not all about the meal, but it's more about what's happening over in this room. We're all hanging out, we're talking, we're playing that kind of thing. And then people are eating in shifts. Like that feels like maybe it's a big ask for some families, but it also feels like really adaptive and inclusive. And so then your child's not left feeling left out. Yeah. And then another option too for that, I think, like if you're in that boat of the child is too fed and they want to join in, but they can't, they're sad. I think that could be a point when you do what you talked about before of like, you know what, we're going to skip out on like the huge family gathering for Thanksgiving. We're just going to get together with a couple families. I know we'll be on board with that, of doing the shifts. Mm-hmm. I can imagine grandma, like great grandma or whatever, getting like, oh no, we need to have our Thanksgiving. They need to get over it. You know, that kind of thing. But I think that that could be a, a time to step down and be like, you know, we're just going to do our own thing and cater it to our child and make sure it's accessible. I think another thing I want to point out is like, if your child is tube fed, but they're not sad to not be eating, I think that you can absolutely like having them sitting there at the Thanksgiving table with everyone while they have their toys there that they're playing with because they're not like actually eating, eating. But like they can still be included in like the social aspect of it where like they may not be eating, but if they're okay with everyone eating around them and they're not feeling sad about it, I think that that could be something you could totally just include them in their coloring or doing whatever at the table 
So they're still there with everyone. And then I would say also for those of us who have children who are tube fed that have a blenderized diet, I know that that could be a really great way to, you know, here are the you know, special Thanksgiving mashed potatoes and put them in the blender with the child right there and helping you. Do you want pie in there? And, you know, and so kind of like I think you can still have a special like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever you celebrate meal that includes those special items that everyone gets excited about, but you're like, oh, but we're putting it in the blender and we're putting it through your tube. It's just a different way of consuming the Thanksgiving meal or the Christmas or whatever it is. Yep. And another thought is if let's say your family's eating at five, like, could you get there at six? Could your smaller family get there at six or something? Like if you're like, we just don't even want to deal with this. Maybe our family's not super accommodating to this. We'll just get there after dinner. And I mean, you would have to decide, is it even like, if you're dealing with a family that's not flexible enough to make adaptations for you, is it even worth it to go? If the answer is yes, and you still want to go, then maybe you just go once dinner is over and you participate in all the other stuff. Another aspect of all this too, like just going into the holiday season, as I know a lot of, I know we talked about germs, but I think a lot of parents are also really concerned about and feel a lot of anxiety about is my child going to get sick this holiday season? And will that throw a wrench in these different expectations of like events we do want to go to? And I have an audio recording from Heather. I think she sums it up really well. So let's listen to that and then we can kind of chat about that topic too, because I think that's important. My name is Heather Crowley. I live in Missouri. My son is Tate, three years old, and he has a severe form of epilepsy and a tracheostomy, among other things. I think the holidays bring up a lot of things, but my main problem is all of November and December, I have an unreal amount of anxiety around just trying to make it to Christmas or Thanksgiving or different events without getting sick. I have a lot of things I try to do or want us to do as a family, and then I constantly worry about him ending up hospitalized or whatever and us having to miss everything. So it's hard to enjoy the holidays when all you're doing is worrying about getting there. Yeah, I think I had so many people that sort of mentioned the same thing, just feeling this anxiety about germs. And then also, I think we said this earlier about how you just never know when something's going to come up, when your child is going to have some major issue pop up with their health. And just the added pressure of, oh my gosh, now we're admitted to the hospital over the holidays. And it just, everything that we've talked about today just feels amplified 10 times. Yeah. This one, I I love that she brought this up because I think we can't really do this episode without talking about that anxiety of like, what if they get sick? And also, I mean, obviously it's not just, and then we can't go to the party, but that is an aspect of it is like, what if they get sick for this thing I'm so excited for and I've been planning for, and then we can't go. So I wanted to include it in this episode because it's a big part of this, but I'm also just really excited for our next episode coming out in a few weeks, really honing in on this. Like, okay, so what happens when you are inpatient during a holiday or a birthday or something like that? And like, how do you make that special? How do you kind of cope with that? And let's just talk about how that just sucks. Or, you know, not just inpatient, but also like if you can't go because they're sick and so you stay home, right? And you're keeping them safe there or caring for them there. I just think this is such a big one. It deserves its own episode of what to do when you are impatient because that's just it's just hard. Again, it goes against what you expect for a holiday. Like you don't want to be in the hospital again. Kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the episode is like 
you know, this is something that you deal with a lot, like throughout the year, but then it's like, okay, well, the flu season and when germs are flying around extra, it's during the holiday season. So like statistically, you're more likely, like I know for us, when Kimball was in and out of the hospital, guess when he was in and out of the hospital? It was all throughout the holiday season. Like that's when he was. So it's just, it's a real thing to be concerned about and feel anxiety about because it's fairly likely in our world. Yeah. And I'm thinking a lot of us for the holidays, we have to travel out of state or far away from our home base. And so for me, I'm from a really small town in Michigan. And in the back of my mind, I always have this fear, like if something goes wrong or we end up needing medical care while we're out of town, like it's a pretty small town. And I don't know how familiar the doctors are with Asher syndrome. And that feels really scary when our home base is in Chicago, a huge city where people have actually heard of his diagnosis. So there's that added layer of anxiety, like not only what if something goes wrong over the holidays, but also I'm not at my home base with my providers that I know and trust. And that's just feels really scary too. Like how are we going to explain all of this to a doctor who might not even be that familiar with his diagnosis? Yeah. I, such fun memories of making those kind of like those risk benefit analysis. Like when it was like a holiday thing and I was like, should we go four hours away to the middle of Idaho, which is like most of it is in the middle of nowhere. And like, just kind of making that gauge of like, okay, well, like they have life flights there and they could life flight him. Like they could get him back here to Utah, like to the big hospital, like within, I don't know, 20 minutes. Okay. So like would insurance cover that? Yeah, I think they would like, just kind of like these things that like other parents, it doesn't even enter their mind, right? It's just an unfortunate part of this. It's like, that is part of the deciding about traveling. Like, is this a good idea? Is he safe? Like, and then can we keep him safe? You know, if we're going somewhere far away from home base and from the hospitals that, you know, we usually trust for their care. Just the mental load in what you just said is like absolutely mind blowing. Like they can life light him if they have to. And it will only be like, I mean, we have to be like, 15 steps ahead of the plan just to be able to like ease our anxiety. It's really actually like kind of crazy. Like the amount of the mental load that we have to carry as parents of kids with pretty scary disabilities where there's a lot of, it's not just a disability. It's such a high medical need as well. And yeah, we need to know where the closest hospital is at all times. That's always on my radar just in case something is to happen. And I mean, man, talk about mental load. That is something that like most parents just really do not have to consider. I also, I mean, obviously we can't talk about the section of health anxiety without talking about our awesome episode we did together months ago, but I'll link it in the show notes all about health anxiety. And I think there are some tips in there that could help with this type of thing. But I think like something we talked about in the episode that is pertinent to this is like, okay, so like Kimball has stabilized in a lot of ways. The likelihood of him needing hospital care when we go somewhere else is a lot lower than it used to be. Like the chances are so much lower, but my brain is still going there. It's still saying, where's the nearest hospital? Oh my gosh. What if we have to get life lighted? Like, even though it's not even that likely and it's definitely like more in the background than it used to be. But like, I think like if you're going into the holiday season, feeling this like familiar fear and you're like, wait, but like, we're kind of past that huge risk. I mean, I would say expect it, right? Like your brain's still going to go back there and remember that fear you had. And it doesn't just forget that type of thing. Like you still will probably feel this huge amount of anxiety, even if it's not necessarily warranted. Exactly. Yeah. Even as I was talking, I was thinking the same thing because Asher hasn't knock on wood had a medical emergency in a long time, but 
it is always right there on the forefront of my mind that something could happen and we do need to be prepared for it. So yeah, I mean, that is pretty much medical anxiety, like by definition, so or health anxiety. So maybe I should go back and give that podcast a listen to. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, okay, what did I, what was my advice? Cause I need that right now. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely guys, if you're feeling this, go and listen to that episode. Re-listen if you already one. heard it. Listen for the first time if you haven't. That one really resonated with a lot of parents. So I think not to pat ourselves on the back, but we kind of nailed it on the head. So, <laughs> so Amanda, what would you like to leave with parents after this doozy of an episode about all the ways that holidays can be really difficult for us as parents of medically complex and disabled children? Like, what would you like to leave with listeners as kind of a final say on this? I think the most important thing is just to allow ourselves space to feel the grief, acknowledge that it's there, but also to try to battle against letting the grief overshadow everything. The truth is that there are so many good moments and there's so many like little joyful things that happen if we try to create space for it. And that requires us to be flexible. That requires us to see things through our child's eyes and not through what we have hoped for for the holiday and remembering that joy can look a million different ways. It doesn't have to look the way that the commercials make it look, right? Like your example of the balloon was so perfect. Like if a balloon brings your child joy, then go buy five balloons for Christmas and lean into that moment. So I think acknowledge your grief. It's okay that it's there. It doesn't make you a bad parent. It's very normal. And also try to be flexible to what actually makes your child happy and what actually makes you feel safe. So this balance of, I want to push our family. Maybe we do need to get out of our comfort zone a little bit to try and do these certain things, but also I know when to draw the line and when to say, you know what, we're actually going to stay home because that's what's best for our family. Yes. I love that so much. I think that's what it all comes down to. And again, it's that duality of like, you know, acknowledging this is hard and sitting out when you don't feel up to it emotionally, even like if that's the only reason, like that's a good reason. None of these things are required, right? You don't need to try to shove yourself into that cookie cutter holiday season family if that just isn't how th- how reality is for you. And it's okay to feel sad that it's not your reality, but also like I agree. I think that there are a lot of ways to feel joyful during the holidays for you, for your family, for your disabled child. And maybe each year we get better and better at figuring out what that is, what that looks like for our family and really maybe getting to the point, like maybe Amanda, you're in where your child is 13 and you've really figured out like, these are our people that we really love hanging out with. These other people are a little more difficult and we'll see them other times of the year. But like, you know, we just, we're figuring out what works for us and what makes this time actually happy and jolly and not hell. And so we're doing what we need to do to make this as peaceful and smooth as we can. And that's just going to look different. So anyway, I hope that, you know, everyone listening right now feels really held. Mm -hmm. And just I hope you feel the space that we've created for all the different things that are going on and that you have to navigate. And I feel for you and I feel for myself. And I'm just like, you know, this is hard. And I'm I'm sad that it's hard. But like, we know, we're all there. Like you have a huge community with you that Mm -hmm. are experiencing very similar things. And also, I'd love to hear from people about what works for them. Like, what have they discovered over the years? Like, where have they given themselves permission to draw boundaries and 
what works for them in terms of navigating all this. Because I mean, we talked a lot about the hard stuff and we did talk about the solutions too, but I would also, yeah, I would love to hear any ideas that people might have that they've found helpful over the years too. Yeah, I love that. And I think like, Amanda, let's make a pact. We'll both open up our stories on like when this is released. So hop over to Instagram to follow us if you don't already and throw in your hacks, you know, throw in like what does make this time of year joyful. Cause I think that'd be really great. We can go in and we can just share those all the answers to our stories. And so like you say, we really unpacked a lot of like the difficult parts of it, but there's lots of joy to be found in all the different kinds of ways that we just have to kind of pivot, you know, our expectations or what that looks like. But I think for those listening who are more experienced and have figured out things that help them, you know, with all the emotions going on and all the things that, you know, you have to figure out, I think it would be really great to kind of share those hacks and those ideas. So you don't have to necessarily be 13 years down the road and have finally figured it out where you can be earlier on, even your first season, your first Christmas or first whatever holiday season. And I feel like you have some ideas and some tools up your tool belt to help you still make it a great time of year. Yes. And I say great as in great, but also with triggering and grief and everything else that comes there, right? I don't know that anyone's holidays are going to be just plain great. And that's, you know, that's just, that's just it right there. But yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I so appreciate you and all your insights. And as always, I love chatting with you. Thank you. It was so great being here. You can find links to all the episodes mentioned in our conversation in the show notes. You will also find links to follow Amanda and me on Instagram. Check out our stories for a chance to weigh in on ways that you have adapted your holiday season to work for you and your family. We'll be sharing your ideas on there and I think it'll just be a lot of fun. Because we're between seasons six and seven, it'll be a few more weeks till part two of this three-part series is released, December 8th. That episode will be all about when your child is impatient or sick at home during the holidays. It'll be full of tips and camaraderie. Don't miss it. See you then.